What's up, hysterical people? I'm so excited and honored to welcome to today's episode of the Hysterical Society Feminist Podcast, Andrea Gallegos, who's the head of the clinic, I guess a couple clinics now, you can tell us, because there's been some evolution. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's good to be talking with you again. But just for the listeners, uh, Andrea and I met last summer, uh, just before the Dobbs decision landed. Um, she was running at the time the um, Tulsa Women's Clinic, literally a few days, I think maybe four days or something like that before the decision dropped. And I was actually surprised at the time that you had already stopped providing abortions at that clinic in Tulsa. Maybe you could start there and tell us a little bit why that was happening um, and then catch us up to kind of how everything is transpired over the last year, um, a little bit more than a year now since that happened. Yeah, I think when we last met, it was at the Tulsa Women's Clinic in Tulsa, Oklahoma. It was before the Dobbs decision, but we had already stopped providing abortions in Oklahoma because the state had passed a copycat law that mirrored Texas's SB8 law limiting abortions after six weeks. And they also took it one step further in Oklahoma and limited abortions at conception. So virtually all abortions in Oklahoma had already stopped pre-dogs. And I don't know that a lot of people really realized that was already happening in states with Texas's lead with SBA. Oklahoma was the next state to jump in and um, essentially outlaw abortion in the state. So we hung on staying open as long as we could. We definitely wanted to hear what the Dobbs decision was going to tell us. At that point, I don't know that we were very optimistic that it would go our way, but we stayed open, wanting to hear the decision, wanting to be available for anyone wanting to come in and get a sonogram before having to travel out of state. And so that's what we did until the Dobbs decision came through. Um, once it did, we unfortunately then is when we started making our plans to officially close the building and start kind of planning the process of what we would do next. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. I, I think when we spoke at that point, we were all still sort of on pins and needles waiting for the Dobbs decision. I mean, you were able to move rather quickly, I believe. Yeah. We were already having discussions of what is plan B and what will we do? What can we do? Can we open one clinic? Can we open two clinics? Where? All of those discussions we were kind of already having, but really solidified the decision once dogs came through. We had already visited Albuquerque at the time and really felt like we needed to be in Albuquerque based on the proximity to Texas, since so many of our patients that we had at our San Antonio location could, you know, as crazy as it sounds, 
New Mexico would be a likely option for them if they needed care. So we really felt strongly about being there. And then once we decided on doing a second clinic, Illinois really, really stood out as being somewhere we just had to be. It was something that I really, really wanted to make happen uh, just because when you look at a map of states where abortion would be banned if Dobbs did not go our way, then Illinois really stood out as this island of access and we wanted to be there. So I guess before I got on a plane, I did a Google search of all the clinics that were already existing in Illinois, of course, several in the Chicago area, um, more northern Illinois. As you got further south, there were just not as many options, not as many clinics already in existence. So really started looking around southern Illinois, and I literally Googled most progressive city in southern Illinois because like most people, I was someone who I had been to Chicago, I think, one time years ago. My knowledge of Illinois did not go much beyond that. And, you know, you think of Illinois, you think Democratic state. It is only Democratic because of Chicago. There are a lot of rural, very conservative areas in Illinois I was very ignorant about. But I stumbled upon Carbondale, Illinois, which is a tiny little speck of blue in a sea of red in Southern Illinois. And so, yeah, got on a plane and traveled to Carbondale and um, found a realtor to show buildings that were for sale. And the first building I saw is actually the building that we purchased to open the now clinic in Carbondale. So it did happen pretty quickly. It just kind of made sense. It was what we needed to do. I, I, I just really felt like Illinois was somewhere we had to be. If we could make it happen, we needed to make it happen. Well, you're right. I mean, if you look at the map, it's that southern tip of Illinois that really dips mm -hmm. into that sea of red. So yeah, Illinois, southern Illinois is a brilliant spot. And of course, Albuquerque, you know, because you've got mm -hmm. Arizona, Utah, and Texas all kind of surrounding. So yeah, it's really great that you're able to help so many people now with your pivot. I think a lot of people would have just said, oh, this is terrible, but what else should I do now? Something completely different. But you guys, you and your father, who is, does he mainly run the, how do you guys handle? I know before you were mainly Tulsa and he was San Antonio. Do you tag team on the two new clinics as well? Yeah, to an extent. He picked up and moved to Albuquerque and I picked up and moved to Carbondale. So we split I guess, in that regard. And, you know, I still help in, you know, some of the behind the scenes administrative stuff for the Albuquerque Clinic. And he does the same helps for the Carbondale. He's come out and he got a, you know, he has a medical license now in, in Illinois and New Mexico. So he has come to see patients um, in Illinois as well. So yeah, it, it's, you know, I never imagined, I, I've always imagined leaving Texas, I should say that. <laughs> You know, Texas has has been home for many years. It will always be home, but it's a it's a love hate for my state, my home state that I have quite a bit of wonderful things about it and quite a bit of horrible things about Texas. So it was, you know, bittersweet saying goodbye. Never imagined I would be moving to Southern Illinois, but also never imagined the country would be so divided on this issue and that, you know, geography would such a, a huge part in um, accessing healthcare. It's crazy. 
do you have a feel, you know, uh, an idea of the types of patients that you're seeing in your clinic in Carbondale? I'm curious how many of them are coming from out of state. Every single one of them. We see patients in Carbondale from Tennessee, Mississippi, Kentucky, Alabama, Louisiana, Oklahoma, Missouri, Indiana, Georgia, Florida, wow. um, Wisconsin. I've seen patients from just about every single band state. It's it's really crazy. Um, I think in one day we saw patients from nine different states. Wow. Yeah. Tragic. And I guess um, obviously they're traveling pretty far distances, so they have to have means to be able to stay. Is there a waiting period at all in Illinois or is that? There's no waiting period. There's no restrictions. Um, you know, one of the things getting to both Illinois and Albuquerque, uh, coming from Texas and Oklahoma, you know, even even when we had Roe, there were so many restrictions and burdens um, for patients and for providers. And so going from these two, you know, anti-states to uh, two friendly states in regards to abortion, uh, it's, it's a much different feeling. There are no waiting periods. There's not any extra hoops for minors. The parental consent is not required in either state. Patients that come to us from uh, New Mexico to New Mexico, from Illinois to our Illinois clinic, can use health insurance. I mean, all of these things that we were accustomed to having walls up, those walls have been able to come down, thankfully. So it is, you know, I think my dad said, how nice it was to just kind of just be a doctor, um, just provide healthcare. When Texas and Oklahoma was, you know, can we do this legally? Did we cross all of our T's and dot all of our I's on all the extra steps that were not medically necessary, but the states forced us to do? Um, and to have those gone is is really nice. However, it doesn't eliminate the burden that patients have in traveling for healthcare, which is what patients are doing. Yeah, there's there's all sorts of burdens to ask people to make such a big journey. And then repercussions for those who are forced into these pregnancies. Right. So do either of your clinics have um, or partner with like an abortion fund or somebody who's helping the logistics of the travel and the even putting them up or helping them um, figure out where to stay once they're in Carbondale or Albuquerque? Yeah, for sure. So I think the 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 coolest thing that happened um, that came from the Dobbs decision, I mean, there was already a network of amazing organizations working together with clinics um, that already existed. But I think Dobbs just elevated that times a thousand. And it went from helping to cover the cost of the actual abortion to now there's funds for travel, there's funds for hotels, there's funds for gas, there's plane tickets, there's childcare, there's, you know, all of these practical support needs that patients need when having to travel as far as they are. So, so yeah, we partner with as many as we can and try to get every patient uh, the type of funding that they need. That's wonderful. So uh, let me make sure I understood that correctly for our listeners. So if anybody needs help, obviously there's other resources, other ways they can get to these funders. 
but can they Google, you know, can they go to you and your, your, your facility and you'll put them in touch with the right people? Yes. All they have to do is call us. Um, and based on what state they live in and some, some are state specific and some are available to just anybody that needs them. And we can, uh, send them in the right direction to help get whatever type of funding that they need. Wonderful. So we'll make sure we put the links to these, to your website in our, in the notes to this, for this episode. So if you are listening and you need help or think you might know somebody who you can help, um, put them in touch with the right people. So that'd be great. Wonderful. Well, I'm glad that the burden has kind of lessened for you guys. That's the least that can happen for you making this huge um, life altering switch, picking yeah. up and moving your families and everything. Um, what about your staff? Did, did uh, any of them come along with you? Yeah. So um, they all went to Albuquerque. <laughs> Um, all of our Santa, just not all, but just about all, let's see, six in total, five from San Antonio and one that was working in Tulsa, all, um, moved to Albuquerque and are now, uh, working in the Albuquerque clinic. And I have a great local team that I found, um, here in Carbondale that have really been dedicated about providing these services and, doing a great job. Well, that's good. I'm glad that, well, you had to rebuild in uh, Carbondale, but I'm glad that a lot of the team still stayed together. In yeah. um, what about the landscape? You know, I was um, speaking with your staff member when we were in Tulsa briefly. I guess there were still protesters that were coming to the clinic in Tulsa, even though you guys were not providing abortion care at that time. And although I missed them because I was hoping to get them on camera for the film, but she was just describing that they come, oh, on Tuesdays and Thursday mornings or something like that. They had a more or less set schedule. So I'm curious how has that shifted? Is it more? Is it less in Carbondale and um, Albuquerque? What's the landscape from the antis? Antis are everywhere. <laughs> uh, <laughs> friendly, non-friendly. They, they find you no matter what and doesn't matter what state you're in. So we, you know, expected they would find us in Albuquerque and Carbondale. There's a pretty good network of antis, um, considering, you know, again, Carbondale kind of being a speck of blue, a very small speck. So a lot of these other Southern Illinois surrounding cities is where they kind of mobilize and then come outside our clinic. So, yes, they're there. Every anti is aggressive. I think it's aggressive just in what they do by standing in front of a healthcare facility and trying to tell people that they shouldn't receive services. I think just that is aggressive. So, um, but there are levels to that aggression. I think Tulsa by far has been the most aggressive that I've experienced. And I think partly because of how our building was situated, they were right there, literally right in front, right in our uh, little grassy area between the curb and the street and our buildings. So I think our the way our building is situated now, it doesn't give them as much direct access, um, but they still have a presence. They still, you know, are there every day. There's not as many as Tulsa had. We might have as many as four or five, I think, at the most in any given time. Sometimes it's two or three, but it's the same type of intimidation uh, tactics that they use 
Um, they wear, you know, vests trying to look official. They want people to stop as they're pulling in so that they can, you know, talk to them and mm. give them their pamphlets. Um, there's a crisis pregnancy center um, that they try to direct them to. They have a van. Sometimes they advertise free ultrasounds. They tell patients uh, that we won't see them in, unless they have an ultrasound, which is uh, not true. So, yeah, there's the presence is there. However, the difference is we're in a city and a state where this is legal, right? So whether personally, you know, city officials support us or not doesn't matter because the law, you know, it's okay for us to be there. So we have support from the city and the city council actually passed an ordinance uh, not that long ago stating that protesters cannot be within 100 feet of a clinic entrance. And they did, of course, all healthcare facilities, but it was for us. Obviously, no dentists don't have He's protesters standing protest. outside. outside hey, I clinic. might protest my uh, root canal or something, maybe. Right, right. <laughs> So, you know, that pushed them further from the front entrance. Um, of course, I find it quite hilarious, but they are trying to appeal that and claiming that it violates their rights. Their rights. <laughs> right. <laughs> Nobody should be able to tell them what they can and cannot do. Uh, <laughs> interesting. <laughs> oh, it so. is. The hypocrisy is really mind-boggling. It's kind of funny. And Albuquerque has some as well. Um, but again, it's, you know, nothing we didn't expect. Yeah. And you said, so the most you have is four or five. So that doesn't sound too bad, but is that still, they can get really aggressive if they're talking to people as they're coming into the parking lot, et cetera. Do you need, have a need for clinic escorts as well? Yeah, um, we do have one very dedicated clinic escort um, who's from the area, and, and uh, she met us early on when we arrived, uh, so she's great. But she's one person, so she comes as often as she can and, you know, does an amazing job just helping patients recognize to drive past the protesters and come on in. She meets them in the parking lot and walks them inside and then kind of does a little security outside for us to making sure everyone understands, you know, protesters, even they don't really try, they, they do follow the law for the most part, other than, you know, they're not supposed to impede traffic. They do, they jump in front of mm -hmm. the driveway and try to stop vehicles. But, uh, you know, when she's there, she kind of helps keep the flow of cars just coming in. Um, and not as many people stopping um, because when they do stop, you know, they're, they're given inaccurate information. It's just not. Yeah. That's, that, yeah. I wish we could ban the distribution of the pamphlets of this information. It's too bad, but um, it sounds like it's a workable solution then. And you just make sure you coach patients before they you know, come when they make an appointment or what have you that exactly those people and talk to this lady over here. Yeah. 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 Uh, you know, I mean, I had my abortion in California many, many years ago, of course. Um, it was really easy. Um, so I, you know, that's one of the reasons why I'm so kind of disheartened by this whole situation. The idea that people choose to spend time in front of a clinic, just kind of making trouble or being obnoxious. And then other people have to choose to spend time, you know, counterbalancing that. Um, it's just kind of stupid. Like what, what, what is this? <laughs> 
Um, just mind your business, you know, go back home. Like, what is it? You don't agree with it, don't have one. Exactly. One thing we're finding is, you know, patients are traveling. So a lot of times patients try to get an ultrasound before they come. And unfortunately, many of them are ending up at crisis pregnancy centers in their home state uh, before they make it to the clinic. So if they haven't realized that they ended up at a crisis pregnancy center, we're trying to ask the right questions to to help realize that, you know, this, the sonogram that they had there was probably not accurate. So uh, we don't require anyone to get one first. Um, we're we're going to do a sonogram at the clinic, whether you had one at your OB-GYN, you know, the week before or not, we're going to do a sonogram. So we don't require anyone to. I'm just finding more and more that Patients are seeking them out and they end up at crisis pregnancy. So by the time they talk to you, they've already been to a crisis pregnancy center and they have some misinformation that you're helping to to correct. Got it. Illinois is the state that just made a law that basically Mm -hmm. tries to, to clamp down on that. Yes. Yeah. Maybe describe that because I'm sure you'll, you'll now have a picture of before and after the law. See if it's any yeah. different. So um, it wasn't just Illinois. Um, it was a handful of states that are trying to crack down on this misinformation that it, I mean, it should be illegal here. They're posing as a healthcare clinic and uh, they shouldn't be able to give false information, you know, just like we wouldn't expect, you know, you go see your cardiologist or your, I always pick on dentists for some reason, um, (laughs) or you go see your dentist, you know, you're not expecting to get false information. You're expecting to get accurate information and they're posing as people who provide accurate information when they do not. So, you know, there's a lot of talk about pill reversal options. There is no pill reversal option. So yeah, hopefully we will see some change. I don't know. I, I'm not familiar with how, you know, the enforcement part is how it's exactly going to work. But I mean, you might be part of the enforcement part, right? Like as soon as you hear, you know, the next time you hear a misinformation from a specific crisis pregnancy center, I mean, it might be up to you and your staff to report them before they continue. Um, but yeah, who knows? It's not up to you guys to stop them, just to report them. And then they, you know. Right and whoever somebody has to stop them as you know i did the the documentary last summer and then kind of did that and let that go through some film festivals but it was really in january that i started the hysterical society which now has a podcast but the blog i've spent all my time practically making these posts that just track the legislation the volume of um, legislation at the state level at all these crazy different states coming after abortion rights reproductive rights also, you know, trans and LGBT stuff, that's even more, worse, to be honest. But it's been insane. I can't believe these people, these legislatures in these different states have nothing better to do than to come up with these crazy restrictive laws. So yeah, kind of crazy times. But um, well, we're glad that we have wonderful, amazing people like you who are not afraid to keep it going and not going to back down from any sort of threats or oppression etc. Is there anything else, I guess, any kind of messaging you think would be important that I didn't cover? I mean, I, I think it's always important while, you know, to, I, I try to recognize that, yes, we are seeing several patients um, from all these banned states right now. And, you know, it's something to, to feel really good about. Um, but I also can't 
not think about the patients that cannot travel, that cannot get to us, that will not get care that they want or that they need. And that's always kind of with me and disheartening and just, you know, another reminder of where we're at with reproductive health. And, you know, I think the women right now in Texas that are fighting the lawsuit with the Center for Reproductive Rights and and really showing kind of the outcomes of what happens when we restrict um, this access, the dangerous um, outcomes that, you know, people like my father and anyone who's been doing this um, a long time know that, you know, we will see more women die or near death because of these bans and Mm -hmm. because, you know, not everyone can take time off work, can tell someone they're leaving, can um, travel. You know, I think about undocumented people and how scary it is to leave a state when you already are kind of under the radar. And so I know there are so many pregnant people that we will not see for these services who need or want them. And, you know, that I think is just um, something that shouldn't be lost on everyone. I think all the different systems that abortion access affects, long-term systems like uh, the child welfare system, like healthcare, not every state has access to Medicaid easily, the prison system, the school system. I mean, there's so many, you know, domino effects that Dobbs has created. And I think, you know, we're eventually we will see um, some of these outcomes. Our maternal mortality rates in this country are terrible. And so, you know, we do not take care of pregnant women, you know, who want to be pregnant uh, the way that we should. And, you know, that's why I think the case in Texas is so important because these are women who very much wanted their pregnancies and had complications. It is, you know, a whole lot, again, another misinformation that antis like to give, you know, abortion is so much safer than carrying a pregnancy to term. I mean, there's so many things that can happen while pregnant. And if you don't have access to full spectrum reproductive health care in your state, it's dangerous, dangerous to be pregnant in a place like Texas, in a place like Oklahoma in any band state. Yeah. Well, this has been really great. Um, Such a great conversation and such so informative for our listeners. So I want to give you an opportunity to help us help them and help you. So what kinds of uh, suggestions or recommendations would you make for our listeners if they want to get involved somehow or help in addition to voting, of course, but um, leading up to the election, we have a year or more before then. So what would you suggest for our listeners as a call to action? I think the easiest thing for everyone to do and something I always kind of encourage people to do is talk about abortion. You know, I think one thing that we have yet to do in this country, obviously, is destigmatize abortion. And so saying the word and talking about it and telling personal stories and how we may have been affected by abortion or just being able to talk about it and normalize it, I think is something that everyone can do. And I think it's really important. So I think that is something that is easy and we can all do it and just abortion, 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 say the word, talk about it, 
tell your stories, talk about it with people who are comfortable talking about it. And I challenge everyone to talk about it with people who you know are not comfortable talking about it. And, you know, maybe um, just having that conversation will help them think of it differently than what they did before. Absolutely. I totally agree. And I think even, um, you know, we're, we're preconditioned um, as people who can get pregnant to, you know, why do we wait three months before we tell anybody we're pregnant? Because, oh my gosh, we might have a miscarriage. And how can we tell people that we're pregnant and then we lost the pregnancy? Um, it's also something that's hush-hush and scary and stigmatized. And when really many women have had miscarriages, they're common. It's natural. It's something that people go through and it's treated with the same type of procedure or medication that abortions are. So if we talk about both and normalize both and I guess show support and community for both, I think we could make some changes. Yeah, I think that's great. Well, this has been so wonderful. I'm so glad to revisit with you and hear the news on how you're keeping it going. Had to physically move to two different states so that you can continue to help people. And I'm just so grateful that you're out there. Um, So everybody listening, check out the Alamo Women's Clinic of both Albuquerque and Illinois. Well, I'm so glad that you're out there. Thank you for helping everybody. And thank you for being on the podcast today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And thank you to our listeners. Stay hysterical, everybody. We are the universe.